When a young man takes his dog for a walk through the forest, he thinks it's just going to be another great way to start the day. But when he hears a voice calling out from behind the trees, he realizes that this day will be anything but ordinary. And then we're going to meet two resident care workers, two young women who spend their nights taking care of those who cannot take care of themselves. But when a mysterious event strikes the home that they're working in, we are forced to ask the question, are aliens from another world targeting the disabled? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun. We're getting ready for Spooky Month Central October. Will I do anything different? I always go, e- this year, I'm going to review a movie. Each episode, or this year, it's going to be a ghost. Uh, this, this show is so hard to do. This show is so hard to put together. It's so hard planning anything, but I'd love to do spooktobular spectacular or something like that. Hopefully something I can pronounce. We'll figure it out. But someone who never needs to figure stuff out. Someone who always has all of life mysteries solved. Walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now. Give it up for our newest Patreon supporter, Michael Knight. Yeah, woohoo! Come on in! Come on in! Michael Knight walking into Dead Rabbit Command. Michael, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally get it. I do just help spread the word about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. You can even help us right now. A big thing we're trying to do is to fill out the Dead Rabbit Radio wiki that Germ started. Thanks for that, Germ. So get the word out about the show. Help us with the Wikipedia page or support the Patreon. All of that stuff totally helps. Michael Knight, he's walking in with his cool sunglasses Let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're trading in Kit the Talking Car for this hunk of junk, for this hunk of junk, this chitty chitty bang bang car. Michael, we're leaving Dead Rabbit Command. Drive us all the way out to a forest. We're headed back to September 12th, 2022. That's very, very recent story, right? What is that, just a couple weeks ago? I found this story posted online. We don't have a location of it. It's just a small... I imagine it's an area like so many areas are. You have suburban housing and then you have a nearby green belt, a nearby forest that has been untouched by the developers so far. We're about to meet a guy. We don't have his real name. We're going to call him Charles. And Charles has this routine. Before he goes to work, he likes to take his dog, we're going to call the dog Rufus, he likes to take his dog on a nice little walk, right? <laughs> that's actually that's actually Charles painting. The dog's quite silent. He takes his dog for a walk around 5.45 in the morning so he can get it done, get it out of the way, so he can go to work. He gets the exercise for the puppy, and then you got to go do your own thing. He's a professional dog walker. He thinks his dog's super nerdy. He's like, the dogs I walk are cool, Rufus. You're not cool enough to hang out with them, so I walk you all alone through the forest. He says, you know, for the past few months, it's been nice because the sun's been up at 545, and he would take his dog on this walk. They would take him down a trail through this nearby wooded area. But recently, it's been getting darker, right? Everything's kind of changing. So at 5.45, even though it's always been the same time, it's just a little darker outside than he's used to. 
that he's comfortable with. Now, like he said, Charles likes to take the dog for a walk before he goes to work so he can get the energy. Dogs need a walking, right? It's a good time to do it. Gets him up moving, gets some energy burnt out on the dog. They're going for this little jaunt through the woods. The reason why he specifically chose the woods is because Charles also likes to get stoned before work. So hopefully he doesn't do anything more serious than a professional dog walker. He's like smoking a weed. He's like, oh, now it's time to go to my job. Professional construction worker. He likes to get stoned before work. And he does it in the woods so nobody can see him. So he's walking. Now it sounds a little less altruistic that he's taking his dog for a walk. The dog's mostly just a cover story. If he gets caught, he's like, what? No, the dog, the dog was smoking the joint. It wasn't me, I swear, officer. He takes his dog on a walk through the forest. Oh, yeah, that's the good stuff. Mm, yummy, yummy, yummy. Uh, we, <laughs> I love it all. He's super loud. He constantly is complimenting how strong his weight is. Beaver's like, Charles, we can hear you. You're not being discreet at all. You're making orgasmic moaning sounds and you're naming the brand of your weed. Ah, oh, yes, cherry berry. The best. He's smoking this weed in the middle of the forest walking his dog. Now, to say to, I'm making him turn out to be a huge stoner, I have to say, if you're waking up, the first thing you're doing is smoking weed. You're, that's the definition of a stoner. But he says he just smoked a little, right? Which is, obviously, like, a little to me would be like a puff. Be like, oh, there we go. That's the good stuff. But to a, like, professional stoner, they're like, what? I only smoked three joints this morning. That's barely getting me high. So we don't know what it means when he said he smoked a little bit. But... He smoked some weed, smoked some uh, Mary Jane, and then he continues on his walk and he's getting ready to exit the woods when, from behind the nearby tree, he hears a voice. Hey, Rufus, come here, buddy. Charles kind of stops when he hears this, right? And he looks over. He can't see anything with the trees, right? He doesn't see anyone, but he clearly heard someone say, Hey, Rufus, come here, buddy. And then the sound of... Someone tapping their knee, like you would when you were calling over a dog. Hey, Rufus, come here, buddy. Now, he's stoned, right? I mean, according to him, he probably just smoked a little. But you know what? He's inebriated on some sort of drug. It's psychoactive. And you could just write it off, right? A hallucination. He's smoking weed in the forest at 545. It's getting darker. He's not comfortable in the dark. He's definitely a little more paranoid. What's interesting is he noticed, he, he when he heard it, he looked over, and he wasn't for sure that he heard it. But he noticed that Rufus was also now looking in this direction, like... They both turned and they were looking from where the sound came from. So now he realized it's not just a hallucination. My dog's looking over there as well. And I heard someone say, hey, Rufus, come here, buddy. I just couldn't believe that that would be coming from there. But when my dog turned and looked at the same time I did... Like, what could that possibly be? And then as he's staring out into the trees trying to figure out what could possibly be going on, he hears, Come here, Rufus. Come on, boy. Come here. Charles is standing there, peering into the darkened trees. Can't see anything. 
But what he realized was the energy was kind of changing in the sense that Rufus, who originally turned and looked when it heard the voice, is now not in a curious mood. It's not tugging at the leash. It's not trying to check out what's over there. It's not angry. It's not trying to figure out what's over there. Rufus is in a protective state. As Charles described it. Rufus senses danger. And wants to protect the leader of his tribe. Rufus wants to get out of there. And so Charles puts on his headphones and hurries out of the woods. Now, they were almost out, right? They, he was getting ready to exit the walk. So it's just a short walk for him to end it. But they do get out of the tree line and they hurry home. It's an interesting story. This is one of those stories, listen, it could totally be made up. I've been fooled before this stuff happens. It's interesting, though, the element of them putting in the headphones, which sounds counterintuitive, right? You, you're in a spooky forest, someone's calling your dog. You think you might be in some sort of danger, you put in headphones to walk away. That is the element that makes the story really believable. Because people do do stuff like that. Like, when they're in a threatening situation, they will block off their senses. It's the same thing like when you're in a room and you think there's a monster in your room and you close your eyes or you cover yourself with your blanket and you're like, Jason, that's what eight-year-olds do. It's a human thing. It really is a human thing. If I close my eyes, it'll go away. If I stop listening for the voice, I won't be able to hear it. Now, I think a rational thing would be to have my ears working in case someone's up running up behind me, but... Charles goes, I don't want to hear anything, so I'm going to plug my ears, and we're going to get out of there. That's a really interesting little tidbit that makes me think the story's authentic. And again, like, when you read it, when you're looking at it, when he's getting stoned and hearing voices, I would have totally just written the story off. It's, it's interesting, but I would have written it off. I go, well, he's stoned, so of course he's hearing stuff. But the idea that his dog was reacting to it as well is what makes me think there could be something there. And then what would it be? How did this thing know his dog's name? Because obviously there's two options. One, it's a real human who was trying to lure. There's that word again. <laughs> I had to use that word a couple times earlier on the podcast. There's the possibility that it was a real person trying there's a possibility that there was a real person trying to lure Charles into the woods for some sort of nefarious reason. And then there's the other possibility that it was some sort of creature or cryptid or spirit or ghost also trying to bring him into the woods for some sort of nefarious reason. It's never because they want to hold a birthday party for you, right? It's always some sort of horrible thing. But what was it? What could it have been? It's funny. I'm going to segue to another story here real quick. It's related. Uh, Michael Knight. Let's go ahead and actually drive your car. The Knight Rider. Was that the name of the car? It was Kit. Drive us out all the way to somewhere in Oregon. I heard this story a while back from my good friend Sabine, who she doesn't believe 
She she is uh, one of those like hippy dippy girls that is all like spiritual. Like she does all that goofy stuff, but she also is super pragmatic, right? Like we'll be watching a movie. We saw The Northman, which was all about like Norse mythology, and like Odin is like a character in it, and there's constantly this magic being performed, these weird miracles. And I saw it as a paranormal movie. And she saw it as like, oh no, those were a bunch of coincidences. Like none of that was paranormal. When that woman, when that woman was tied up with another man's intestines, that was just somebody did that. It wasn't some sort of paranormal act. And I was like, what? She's super pragmatic. She could. She's the type of person that could watch a teacup. She's the type of person who could witness a teacup floating across the room, and. 100% believe there was a valid answer for that, even if you ruled out every possible valid answer. It's weird to be... Fr okay. You know, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. That I did an episode a long time ago where I saw something walking outside my recording studio. It's doing it again. Like, I, I seriously, I right now, according to my computer, I've been recording for 27 minutes. Now watch, when you listen to the edit, it's going to be way shorter than that. Because there are so many times where I was starting and stopping and, oh my goodness, like, and I would just look over there. And there was a certain point, I'll put the episode in the show notes if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, There, was, if I can find it. It's the episode, this is why I like the Wikipedia that we're trying to put together. The episodes where I talk about personal stories that have sh no show notes, like where I don't have articles I can reference, are really hard for me to find. But I was recording an episode a long time ago and I saw what looked like a dog walking by. Oh yeah, it was a... Okay, so this is super interesting. It was an episode where I was talking about a dog, the ghost of a dog, the ghost of a dog, and you could smell the worst. <laughs> there is a vet veterinarian's office haunted by a dog, and you knew it was around because you would smell the worst possible smell of a dog's anal gland. I was like, you'd smell the worst possible smell of a dog farting in your face. Like at one point, a woman's hair like blew away, like not flew away, like she was wearing a wig, but it, like you could watch it move. Like if someone blew a big gust of air in your face. I think that was the episode when I saw what it looked like dog paw prints walk by. And it it sucked. It totally sucked. And I just realized, like, I was talking about this dog. This dog in the woods. And I actually started to tell a story of a friend of mine, Sabine. A story with her and her dog, Sage where they encountered something in a field. But I'm not I'm not putting I'm editing that story out for uh I don't remember how it ended. I don't <laughs> I told the whole thing and I got to the end and I was like, well that's kind of anticlimactic. I don't remember how it ended, so I won't have to ask her. But as I was telling the story, I kept seeing that thing 
walk by the door. There's like, so I have my closet door shut and there's a little bit of light coming in from underneath the door. You know how doors work. And I have been seeing it again. And I, I remember once I thought it could have been, I had a bathrobe, right? I have a big plush bathrobe and I thought maybe it's the belt. God, see, there it is. I don't know what's causing it, and I'm wonder if, wondering if it's because I, I, I... Am I doing dog stories? Like, that's what's making it show up. I thought it might have been my bathrobe belt. Kind of falling down, maybe. Because, you know what? You know what? Blocking the light. I don't know. I don't know. But let's go ahead. I don't... I just don't know. I feel like maybe putting a camera up outside. I'm also wondering... You see, here's the thing. Like, I'm trying to be rational about it. I'm wondering if it's... I'm somehow seeing something out of the corner of my eye with my glasses blocking the light. The rim of my glasses blocking the light could be making something. And then when I turn my head, it goes away. It's because my glasses are actually... I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm trying to replicate it. Like that, trying to think of it. Like, I don't know, but anyway. So yeah, it's interesting when it seems like I talk about dogs. I this thing pops up. Here's the thing: if it was my glasses, then I would you would think I would see it all the time because I'm usually wearing my glasses while I'm recording because I'm sitting in the dark. If it was my bathrobe, I would have thought it would have been all the time. I don't know. It's just so weird, and it's not an ARG. If it, if it's an ARG, it's the most boring. Yeah, I don't know if the microphone picked that up, but maybe it was someone turning on the pipes and it made that weird screech. It's I'm pretty pragmatic as far as paranormal investigators go, right? I could easily be like, nope, this is 100% authentic. Let's get a spirit box out there. It could be, right? Probably is at this point, but... Imagine walking into a closet, right? And to talk about these spooky stories, like there is... A lot of times I don't think about... We're getting to the story. I'm not going to spend the rest of the episode talking about this because I hope it's not boring, but I never have to psych myself up. Sometimes I have to psych myself up from like an entertaining point of view, right? Like if I'm not feeling 100%, I was like, okay, you got to get in the mood. I usually do a little dance when I'm like, hey, everyone, welcome back. I'm usually moving my upper torso when I'm doing that to get myself... But yeah, it's like when you sit back and you think about it, you're like, I know this closet's haunted for a fact. I used to sense an old man in here an old emaciated man in here i'll try to find that episode in the show notes let's go ahead and get on to, let's go ahead and move on to this terrifying story because i'm just going to keep seeing stuff move out of the corner of my eye i'm wondering if it is dog topics dog stories that pop up but michael knight let's go ahead this story is really creepy this story's really creepy, and I want to definitely get to it. I don't want to push it off till the next day. Michael Knight land this carpenter copter here at this resident group home. We're about to meet a worker. She's a 20-year-old woman. Online, she goes by the name Carly Fries, 93, which is actually pretty clever. We're going to call her Carly for short. The year is around the year 2013, because she's 29 now. This story took place when she was only 20. Carly was working as a care worker at a group home. And this is where this my uncle was placed in one of these after he got shot in the head with the shotgun. Put that episode in the show notes. It's basically like instead of having this giant 
industrial care center, which those are fine too, right? But where you have like 200 residents and you have all these hallways and doors and everything, you're not getting like a lot of privacy. You're, you know, there is a plus and a con to being in a giant facility, right? You might have access to better equipment, but you don't get that personal touch. And we're talking about people like in this case where they can't even take care of themselves. In this group home, there's six residents. They can't move. They can't speak. They can't even eat. They're tube fed. And they require 24-hour care. There always has to be some people in this house. And there's six residents in this house. And it's basically like a residential home, like where my uncle was. He could walk around. He could talk and stuff like that. But he stayed in a home. It was like a very large house where you had like six to eight patients there. And then you had a family there taking care of them. This one is kind of similar. You have six patients, and they're in these different rooms, and then you have two care workers at any given time. And Carly, she worked the late shift, so 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. was her shift. And she was always there with a co-worker. We'll call the co-worker June. And she, Carly goes, listen, it was a pretty boring job, right? It was pretty routine. We would have to go through this whole process where we would check on all the patients. We'd have to make sure that they were getting their medication. We'd give at least two of them a shower per shift. And really, our job was to make sure they were safe, to make sure they were comfortable. It's 10.30 p.m., so Carly and June have just started their working day about a half hour ago, and they're still getting settled in, right? You have the shift change, you have the previous employees leaving, Carly and June show up, and Carly starts brewing a pot of coffee. And she said the way that it's laid out is that we had baby monitors in the patients' or the residents' rooms. So we could hear anything. Now, when they can't talk, they can't communicate, which makes it even more so that you have to pay attention to any sort of nonverbal cues, like coughing really, really badly. And they hear from... The baby monitor that leads to a patient, she calls her Rachel, it's not her real name, to Rachel's room, they hear Rachel coughing violently. And Carly goes, for a while now, Rachel has had a pretty bad cough. And the problem is, is because you can't move. Like normally when we're coughing, what do we do? We double over. And it's actually helping to expel the mucus. But if you're prone on your back and you're coughing and coughing and coughing, what's going to happen is the mucus is going to spit up and go back into your mouth. And then more mucus is going to spit up, and it's going to keep going back in your mouth. And then you'll start retching, and then you'll start to vomit. And you're totally prone. You're just laying on your back. So they hear her coughing violently. They get up to go check on her. She's retching at this point. They rush in. They roll her on her side. She can't do it herself. They get her on her side. They have this special suction cup device. They place it to her mouth and begin activating it. And vomit begins to shoot out of this woman's mouth. You're like, dang it. You just started eating the tuna fish sandwich. You're like, this, this story won't be gross. Arp. She begins to vomit. She begins to vomit up into the suction device. The vomit spraying everywhere. It's I don't know if it's like a Three Stooges level vomit. They're like, whoa, they're all slipping on it. She's vomiting up. She vomits up so much that they have to change her clothes. So I imagine it was pretty messy. But 
they clear the they clear the blockage. They're able to get the mucus out and the vomit out, and Rachel's life has been saved. If they had not been there, or if they were there and weren't paying attention to that baby monitor, she would have suffocated. So they clean her up, clean up her clothes, decide we need to check on Rachel regularly through the rest of the night, make sure this doesn't happen again. Like, that was a close one. And Carly goes, honestly, like, we're not medical professionals, right? We're just, like, resident care workers. So it was a, it was an adrenaline rush, right? That we were able to do this, and we saved the day, and everything's going to work out. Like, she goes, I was a little high off the adrenaline, but we go, we we got, I don't think they were super adrenalized. They're changing her clothes super fast. They're woo but she goes, yeah, I did get a little adrenaline rush while we were doing it. But then you go back into the routine of everything. We clean her up and write up an incident report. After they leave her room, she goes, we were in there for probably like 45 minutes, right? From the time we walked in when she was coughing to the time we got everything else done, right? Make a little mark, make little notes about what happened, have the discussion to keep keep an eye on her, changing her clothes and all that stuff. She goes, we leave. And I go, I'm going to go get some coffee because she was brewing the coffee before she checked on Rachel. And June goes, I'm going to go outside and have a smoke, actually. And so they go their separate ways. And Carly is walking towards the kitchen. She walks into the kitchen and she sees that the coffee pot light is off. She's like, what? Did a breaker trip or something like that? Like, when I started brewing the coffee, I turned it on. I know I turned it on. And the light, that little familiar orange light lit up. So she goes and she checks and it's plugged in. There is electricity in the house. She's like, that's weird. She pours herself a cup of coffee. And when she takes a taste, it's cold. Coffee pot must be broken, right? Light non-withstanding, the coffee pot must be broken. At that time, June comes running back into the house, her eyes just wide with shock. June runs in and goes, Carly, have you looked at a clock? Do you, do you know what time it is? It's kind of a weird request, right? I mean, I guess if someone's running in and asks you that, you're like, what? Carly then looks over at the clock. It's 5.30 in the morning. And she is obviously thinking there's something wrong with the electrical system. The coffee pot stopped working. The clock's wrong. But June's like, no, no, no. Look at my look at my cell phone. I was outside smoking a cigarette. I pulled out my phone. It's 5.30 a.m. We just went in that room like 45 minutes ago. We didn't do any of our we didn't do any of our job. We're supposed to be checking on people. People were supposed to be taking medicine. What happened? And Carly starts flipping out, too, because that is their job. They are there for an eight-hour time period to constantly be checking on all these other patients, to be giving them showers and changing their diapers and feeding them and giving them medicine. And they both realize they have to admit that it is 5.30 in the morning and they have lost seven hours of time. The new shift is coming in at 6 a.m., so they spend the next half hour doing seven hours worth of work as best as they can. They're all scrubbing scrubbing the people super fast. Ah! And then they're dressing them and they dress them in the wrong clothes and they're like fixing the clothes and everything like that. And somehow they're able to get it done. They're like shoving medicine down people's throats. It's the wrong medicine. They're like, ah. 
somehow they're able to read all the labels of the medicine, give the proper medication. They're like, it's seven hours worth of medication in one day. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop making jokes about all that stuff. Eventually, they were able to get the right medicine and the dosages and the, all of that stuff. And when the new shift of people came in, June and Carly don't even tell them that. They just totally play it off. They don't say, well, we lost seven hours of time. They just went home. But they talked about it amongst each other. They thought this was absolutely insane, right? Where did that time go? We were in that room a maximum of 45 minutes and we came out of that room and it was 5.30 in the morning. And it for sure was 5.30 in the morning because a half hour after they were sitting in the kitchen, the new shift started. Those people showed up. What happened? And what Carly eventually found out was the coffee pot has a timer on it to prevent burnt coffee or fires or both. Once you turn the coffee pot on and it brews the coffee, the heating pad, the heating element to it, will stay on for four hours. It'll keep the coffee warm for four hours, but after four hours, it has an automatic shutdown switch. Because the coffee was brewed. When she put the coffee pot in, she was making it. And when she came out of that room, the coffee was all made. It was just cold. It was brewed, piping hot, and then sat there for four hours, still warm, and then the heating element went off, the whole coffee pot shut off, and then it sat there for another three hours till it became cold. The seven hours that they had missing, 10.30 was when she brewed the coffee, 5.30 is when she drank it. And she said, listen, me and June, you know, we eventually ended up getting other jobs and we kind of drifted apart. We were really good friends, but you know how that happens. And she goes, recently we reconnected on social media. And after the, hey, how's it going? Oh, what's life been like for you? She goes, June messaged me and said, do you remember? You remember that night when we lost that time? And they remembered the story exactly the same way. Not a detail had changed between these two people. Because at a certain point, you would just start to think, maybe I, maybe that didn't happen, maybe I exaggerated this or that. But here we go, nine years later, they reconnect, and they still remember that exact story. What happened to those seven hours? Now, it's an interesting story of lost time. We did a similar story recently called The Cold Campfire. Which also had it, and I mean, when you have something, when people are driving down the road and they go, wow, that's weird. I know that I left this house at one and then I got home and it was three and it's only a 45 minute drive or a 10 minute drive, whatever. Those stories are fascinating. But how much of that is people forgetting things and stuff like that? I mean, they're still interesting and creepy. But when you have an external element like a fire, like a campfire that you light it on fire, everything went dark around them. And then they realized that the fire was cold to the touch. The coals were completely burned out. Like there was some 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 phenomenon happened. So it can't just be false memories. It can't just be mass hallucination. There's an external element that's been changed. 
The same thing like this, if they had gone into the room and then walked out and seven hours had passed, that would be one thing, right? You could be the adrenaline in the moment, maybe they spent more time in there than they thought. But when you have an external element like the coffee that you you can tell the time, that's not mass hysteria. You, The coffee would stay warm for four hours and then it would shut off and then it would get cooled for three hours. I also find it interesting, this is very interesting because when we look at Lost Time, the biggest thing we look at is alien intervention. This story has a lot of really interesting beats to it. Again, assuming that it's true. We have the coffee pot, so we have the external force. People who smoke cigarettes, people who are addicted to nicotine, if you said, hey, you're, we're going to put you in this room and you can't do it for seven hours, they'll claw your eyes out, right? They'll claw your eyes out. So it's interesting that June had a seven-hour time loss. And when she came out of it, she wasn't, she wasn't going through nicotine withdrawals. She wasn't super like, oh, life sucks. I really need my nicotine. None of that. She just goes, I'm going to have a cigarette. It's If you took a drug addict who was addicted to heroin, something super addictive, right? Would they, like, let's say if they fall into this element of lost time, it's time for, it's time for your heroin dosage, right? You got to beat back. The cravings. You got to beat back the withdrawals, really. You're just doing it to stay normal at this point. You get abducted by aliens and you're within their grasp for, let's say, seven hours. When you come back, are you dope sick? Like, because you've now, because sometimes heroin addicts, they do have to do it every single day, right? And they know they're going to do it right when they wake up, but they don't wake up at 6 a.m. They end up waking up at 1 or 2 p.m. And they're like, what What happened? I mean, it's the life of a heroin addict. I don't know. That's a bad example because their life is so chaotic anyways. But would they be dope sick? Actually, that's a really good segue because their life is so... I didn't think about this either. Because a drug addict's life is so chaotic anyways, and this is where I'm going with this story, is it possible that when aliens are abducting people, they are picking the people who wouldn't notice it at all? One thing we talk about a lot on this story is we have the survivor stories of alien encounters, right? It's the people who get dropped back off by the aliens who set the narrative. So this idea that aliens only abduct people out in the country, they only get seen by some country bumpkin walking around with a shotgun and a jug full of moonshine. First off, that's CIA disinfo. That's 100% not true. There's We've done enough stories on this podcast to say that it's not just farmers in the middle of BFE who are seeing these UFOs, right? That's like, that's old school CIA disinfo. But we're still only being told the people who are escaping these things and not escaping them like they have to run down some hallway while aliens are shooting laser pistols at them, but the aliens just waving goodbye and being like, thanks for coming aboard our ship. So that's where our narrative is from on these things. I wonder how many times aliens abduct, like, disabled people. Like, people who are in this state, right, who are just laying in a bed, they can't communicate, they can't move, why wouldn't you abduct them? Why wouldn't you run experiments on them? They, they can't do anything. They get all of their information about human biology. They can definitely look at them and run these experiments and go, okay, this is interesting. This is a human body that isn't working properly. 
Like an auto mechanic doesn't become an auto mechanic by working on cars that run. You have to find cars that are broken and fix them to be better mechanic. So these aliens could look at these these disabled people, these physically disabled people, they can't move and do whatever they wanted to them, and there would be no witness statements to it at all. And you know where they're at. You could abduct them every single night if you wanted to. And in this case, these two nurses, or these two resident care workers, were caught up in the phenomenon as well. Because I think it wouldn't make sense for aliens to abduct people who had severe disabilities. I think, and I didn't think about this when I was doing the episode, I think it wouldn't make sense for them to abduct drug addicts as well. Because they, they all, their entire reality is lost time. They would have no clue. I mean, if you're a homeless person shooting up heroin, your life is so chaotic if you lost five hours of time, you wouldn't even know it. Like, it would just be... I just nodded off. It's a fascinating story. I never really thought about that before because the narrative is created by the survivors. We think of people who are riding their motorcycles or driving their cars or just hanging out at home and these aliens show up and abduct them. And I mean, that's all terrifying enough, right? Those stories are all scary enough. But what about the stories of the people who don't realize they're being abducted? Not because of they have time loss and their brains have been wiped. Because they can't even communicate what has happened. To everyone laying in those beds, those six residents, would they even notice that time stopped? Would they even notice that seven hours had passed? How would they be able to say what happened? The night just went by so quickly. They wouldn't be able to communicate that. They wouldn't be able to tell their story. They wouldn't be able to scream as they watched a gray alien slowly walk into their room. The aliens wouldn't have to hide. They wouldn't have to disguise themselves. They wouldn't have to be cloaked. They could simply appear right in front of one of these six residents and do whatever they wanted to them. What happened during those seven hours, we'll never know. But seven hours did pass. Was it just the two resident care workers who were abducted? Or were the greys returning like they so often have to this home? Because Carly and June didn't tell any of their co-workers about this. Which makes you think, is it happening to the other care workers? On their shifts? Maybe not every night, but every so often it seems like seven hours just slip by. Most of the time you wouldn't even notice it. It wouldn't even have to be a full seven hours. Maybe a half hour lost here, an hour lost there. Had that happened, these two young women would have never noticed it, right? They would have just figured, that's where we just walked into that room at 10.30 and we walked out and it was midnight? Wow. Okay, well, that's weird. But when Carly realized the coffee was ice cold, she knew for a fact that seven hours had passed for unaccounted. 
And what happened in those seven hours? Carly and June don't remember. If the residents themselves remembered, they could never say. The only people who truly remember what happened that night were the perpetrators of the phenomenon. Somewhere in some gray alien scientific laboratory are notes taken that night, biological samples cataloged and put away that was taken from that residence on that particular night, surveys and scans and experiments that these otherworldly beings perpetrated the night these young women lost seven hours. And while that thought is terrifying, we have to ask the question, how many times did they visit that care home? Are they still visiting it now? Are they doing this in such locations all over the world? Attacking those who are the most helpless. Attacking those who cannot cry out for help. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.